You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello and welcome to this episode. I'm so glad that you've joined me here. Years ago, one of my former bosses described me as a deep thinker. And it's really true. Most of the time, I'd rather think about things than talk about them. And when things happen in the world, the current events that we hear about each day, my thoughts immediately turn towards children. How will this affect them? How are they experiencing and interpreting this? How will this experience shape their future? My guest today pursues the answers to these same questions. I'm honored to welcome Anya Kamenetz, author of the newly released book, The Stolen Year, How COVID Changed Children's Lives and Where We Go Now. Anya speaks, writes, and thinks about generational justice and how children learn, grow, and thrive on a changing planet. She's an award-winning reporter who's covered education for many years, including for NPR. She's contributed to the New York Times, the Washington Post, New York Magazine, and Slate, and been featured in documentaries shown on PBS, CNN, HBO, and Vice. She frequently speaks on topics related to children, learning, and technology to audiences at Google, Apple, Sesame, South by Southwest, and TEDx. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as we talk about how COVID has affected children and families. So here we go. So welcome, Anya Kamenetz, to the show. I'm so glad to have you here and talk about your newest book, The Stolen Year. You just give great insight as to what was happening with families during this COVID crisis. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So you did an incredible amount of research for your book on how families were affected by the pandemic, and you are um, an, such an advocate for children and families with your work. What struck you as you spoke with parents about how their children were doing during the pandemic? What stood out to you? Um I think one of the major themes is a sense of abandonment, you know, so, um, you know, families, I think in America are kind of used to going it on our own and, and making things work and just, just making it work. And a lot of things coincided to make it so that, you know, those systems kind of jerry-rigged systems that we put together weren't working. And so it was interesting because people kind of at the bottom of the ladder, that's a familiar feeling. Um, whereas people at the top of the ladder, maybe it's not so familiar. And so the psychological adjustment was different at different points, but the feeling of really I'm, I'm on my own. Um, that was, that was really a a common theme among all everyone I talked to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that something that you've, you yourself felt as a parent? You know, it was so interesting. I think for me being a reporter on children during the pandemic, led to some psychological distance from what was happening, which made it somehow easier sometimes to navigate. But there certainly were points, and I think I get into that in some of the chapters kind of about the domestic balance of work where, yeah, you know, the, you know, you run out of kind of uh, backup plans. And it was hurtful. It was hard for me to see my kids kind of languishing without their friends and without, you know, the ability to really have a lot to look forward to. Um so yeah, there's definitely points like that for sure. Although we were very lucky. Right. Yeah. You know, the the different people that you talked to, there was just such a a complexity of people's experience um throughout. And and I love how you do 
<laughs> you have your the book organized by the calendar, you know, like what happened first and then and yeah. then throughout the period. How would you describe what you observed as far as resilience with families? What what are some stories that come to mind? I mean, I think um, you can kind of find this in the research as well, that um, after a couple of months had passed and cash benefits did come in for a lot of families, while it was incredibly hard, you know, they were kind of able to make the best of their downtime and their time kind of cocooned as a family where there weren't a lot of competitions for their time. And, um, you know, and there was that kind of rainy day feeling, but it stretched out over a really long period of time. Um, But I kind of remember, I'm thinking of... um, a time when I called Patricia, one of the mothers in the book in DC, and she uh, also works as an aide in a special education preschool classroom. She has two kids who both have different special needs, very young. And um, she called, I just, I I tapped into like, she was having the the hardest days, you know, and there were fleas in her house because her next door neighbor was raising puppies. It was a duplex and the fleas came into her house. So her whole house is full of fleas. And it's like six o'clock in the morning. Her husband leaves for work before dawn. So she's alone in the house. The kids are getting bitten up. They're waking up. They're bitten up. She like takes the kids. She puts them in the bubble bath, which is so smart. She puts music on for them. And she's just like manically trying to clean up the house, you know? And um, it's like, everybody can relate to that. Uh, But I also just like, wow, that's really impressive. Like you had to occupy two little boys and you have this little house to clean. So like put the kids in the bathtub and, and just figure it out. Right. Yeah. And you can't just put kids in the bathtub and leave them be. You have to no, be no. watching them so that how incredibly hard that must have been to to take care of that. Gosh. Yeah. So you you talk about the word companioning. What how would you describe that that word and what does that mean and what does that look like? So uh, this was introduced to me by um, one of the grief counselors I talked to. So, you know, there's been over 200,000 children that have been orphaned or bereaved by COVID in the United States and millions around the world. Um, it's one of the most you know, important impacts of the pandemic. Of course, this is a, a deadly disease, right? So talking to children's bereavement experts and those who run grief circles, they use this term companioning to talk about how you, the counselor, or maybe the parent, you're not the one leading them out of their grief. You are there with them as they walk that path and you can't determine for them the pace at which they go, they really have to go at their own pace. And for children respond, recovering from a loss, it can be a little bit of a spiral sequence because they're developing. And as they develop on their path, they come to new understandings of what they went through. And sometimes it's like they have to go back and re-experience the loss as they move on to the next developmental stage. So you have that patience as a companion to kind of walk that path with them. Hmm. So that, and that was that the, the mental health professional who was describing that, and that's how yeah. they help family members help children through this bereavement period. That's right. Yeah. That, well, that's how grief, anyone who's doing helping someone in grief. So a grief counselor would be an example, but um, it was also used in a separate situation with another um, psychologist who talked about post-traumatic growth. And he said, you can foster growth and you can companion, be people's companion through growth after a loss um, where you kind of help them gain insight into what happened essentially mm-hmm. um, and tell the story of what happened. Right. Right. Which is different for little children than it is for even the, you know, early adolescent and older kids, but these little bitties, you know, the the preschoolers and early elementary kids, 
Yeah, that's a really interesting um, thing to think about is how they will think about it as their brain develops over time in their memories. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in, in most cases, people would say that it's really it's a child parent ecosystem and it's really about the ch- the parents and and how they maintained and how much stress they were under during that cr- critical period and revisiting that as as you get older you know as the child gets older um it's going to happen a whole bunch of different ways but the point is i mean they, this is all that they know so they're not going to have something to compare it with right yeah that's a really great point to even <laughs> just keep top, top of mind is this is all that the children know especially if they are really young, this is the world that they know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that I think for all of us who had children during the pandemic can kind of take to heart and say, you know, like maybe you're sad because their birthday party wasn't the same, but for them, it was their birthday and that's what they knew. So Mm -hmm. um, try to enjoy it for what it is. Right. Yeah. And it's not like everyone was having birthday parties, that, but they weren't able to, (laughs) nobody had birthday parties for a couple of years there. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So for for those who are listening who experienced childbirth or had a very young infant during the pandemic, what what did you learn about that particular parenting age group? You know, what 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 did you learn? Um so that kind of stress in the in the, you know, in the prepartum period, the postpartum period, uh it can have it can leave a signature. Um in the way that children develop in their sort of um, early early development. It's something we can potentially see later on. Um, you know, not to say that there's like a dire mark on these kids by any means. It's just, you know, we're, we're concerned about kids getting recommended for early intervention, that they're meeting their milestones, that they're getting their vaccinations and a lot of things that weren't necessarily available in the early days and, and months. I think for the real littles, there's a little bit of a spectrum because if you had, you know, if you had a baby in, Mar- in March, 2020, in the first newborn period, you, your life wasn't any different, right? It's like, we were all on lockdown in a way. And, um, you know, maybe if you, maybe you suffered from the lack of having family come and support you if that was your situation, but, but, you know, the people who, whose kids are a little bit older at the beginning felt it more because when you have a toddler and you really want to, are wanting to get out and you're really wanting to have story time at the library, meet up at the park, play group, play group with other parents. And you don't have any of that that was stressful. That took a toll on people's parenting. It took a toll on their ability to give kids the developmentally appropriate kind of stimulation that they needed. So you're seeing a variety of, of impacts on kids. I mean, you're seeing kids who are not meeting milestones, like I mentioned, um, who some, especially with language delays that we're hearing anecdotally. Um, and uh, then there's kids who kind of just need a little bit more negotiation and introduction to the social settings because they didn't have that time early on to do, to progress from parallel play to interacting. Um, and they're needing more, more and more of that support, um, as they get along, but none of this is, I mean, it's not about dooming saying kids are doomed or marked or anything like that. It's really about just being aware and being able to come in with the right, uh, ways to address it. Mm-hmm. In your interviews with teachers, did you find that they were very keenly aware of this and doing what they could to help kids, especially the preschool age kids who are entering in, gain those social skills? I mean, the adaptations that these childcare workers did was tremendous. Many of them kept working in person throughout the entire pandemic, and they had to figure out ways to 
you know, give social scripts and help preschoolers learn to uh, wear masks and how to give comfort when you're not necessarily hugging or holding a child and do that verbally and help them learn about their emotions. And so there's been a tremendous amount of effort and there's just so much knowledge on the part of those childcare workers, early childhood educators um, to, to address these concerns. And I think now that they're a couple of years into it, they really know what they're looking for and they know how to help these kids. Mm-hmm. Right. I would agree with that. And I love how they just so often would use the clear plastic shields that would yeah. allow them, especially the infant toddler teachers, so that those babies could see their full face as, yeah. you know, as it was appropriate, you know, so that they would be able to read their expressions and stuff. So many accommodations that these kids, that these parents, these caregivers had for these kids and just treating it all as a challenge that could be overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it, in this fall of 2022 is the first time that many parents have even walked into the child care center and dropped off their kid in the classroom or even in, right. in schools, which is just, that is an incredible thought <laughs> that the parents have yeah. not even been able to walk inside the school and see the classrooms, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really something and it's, yeah, it just speaks to what makes this, uh, this an unusual time yes. <laughs> and a difficult time. Right. Yeah. Very, very unusual. So as you, you know, as you looked back, as you did your research, I am curious to know if you were to look forward 15 to 20 years into the future, based on what you've learned so far through your through your work, how do you predict that the COVID babies will fare? Um, You know, I'm so hesitant in talking about this because I don't want to pronounce a sentence on them. I kind of think of like the the beginning of Sleeping Beauty, right? The christening and, uh, you know, the, the evil witch comes in and gives a a fairy comes in and gives a curse. And then the the good fairies come and they can't take the curse away, but they can change it. Right. So like, the danger is that we see a generation that is impaired at a scale. So we have more kids that missed their vaccinations, their their early interventions. And because of that, there's a higher proportion that need interventions along the life cycle, along the childhood cycle. Um, there's been issues with health, with like even with obesity, with diabetes, there's been issues with basic safety for some kids. Um, you know, being isolated at home without a doctor or a teacher to see you is something that has been dangerous for some kids. So that's the dangerous scenario. The the optimistic scenario is that there's an outpouring of support and help to redress these deficits and these things that were missed and that we end up with better healthcare for kids and better childcare for kids and more early interventions and so much enrichment that the instead of it being a, a deficit, it's turned into an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just pie in the sky. Like there's a couple of different examples. They're a little bit complicated, but you know, after New Orleans, all of this, all of the schools in the city shut down, and there were reopened as charter schools, and that was complicated and painful for a lot of people. And a lot of the charter schools had more funding and better pedagogical approaches that got kids up to speed faster than they would have because that was a very struggling school system before. And so it never, it didn't mean that it was a happy ending for every single kid that went through Katrina, not at all. They're definitely marked by that experience, but there were more opportunities for some kids and more more in organizations and more innovations to help them. So it's possible that this brings a big change in how we deal with early childhood. I haven't seen it happen yet, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just have to wonder about 
the concentrated time at home with parents, how that will benefit children, you know, not not all children because every story is different, but I wonder if that will come out in the research later on, you know. I mean, we have to be really careful about predicting that because because of the interaction between the very high stress situation and being with a parent, you know, so being with a parent, yes, can be good. Being with a parent under heavy stress who didn't choose to be home with that person may or may not be good. Mm-hmm. So whether we're going to see a population benefit to that, I would I would not venture to predict that. Um, but we definitely saw, there's at least one study I can point to that where parents themselves did propose that there was a little bit of a buffer effect in having their kids home with them if they had money, sufficient funds, and they were, you know, they were out of, they had time at home with their kids. And certainly that was true of the parents I talked to. I mean, all of them lost it with their kids. All of them had really tough times and all of them saw a benefit to the bonding that they had and the ability to really get to know their kids in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that was really, to me, one of the promising things that came out of the stories in your book is just those, those kinds of stories. So this is really insightful. I would recommend your book for anybody who just wants to look at how families were affected by this, by the um, pandemic and the effects of it in, in such a multitude of ways. It's such a beautiful, comprehensive look at that. As we wrap this up, do you have any words of encouragement or advice for those who are listening? Anything that you haven't said yet that you think that they would benefit from? Um, I mean, I do have words of encouragement. I think that people who are raising young kids or caring for young kids are doing the most important work in the country. And I hope that this pandemic helps people realize that. And I think think that my book will help people realize that that's a part of what I'm trying to do with this book is get people to understand that there's no more important work. Mm-hmm. Well, that is very true. Thank you so much for joining me. And um, I'm going to put in the show notes, a link where people can purchase the book and read it for themselves and uh, learn all about it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Sure. If you love today's episode, take a minute and subscribe to our podcast. And one last thing, I'd love to pray for you and your baby if you'd like for me to. You can email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com. Your request can be as simple as just one word, or it can include an explanation. Either way, you can trust that I will pray for you. It's a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and your family and support you in your parenting journey.